0: Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors and really thrilled that you're here. And man, there's a lot of you here. Uh, wonderful to see all of you this morning. Uh, before we dive into the passage, I want to acknowledge and honor somebody um, who, uh, whether you know it or not, you've experienced a lot of this person's ministry. And, um, and so I want to give just some special recognition this morning to Ellen Mars. Um, uh, many of you know Ellen. Yeah, you're... Those of you that know Ellen, you know why you're clapping already because you're like, yes, she's amazing. I see her and I'm clapping. And those those of you, you'll find out why. And so uh, Ellen was actually the third person that was part of our staff team, originally joined our staff team in 2009 and has, uh, other than the title of pastor, has worn just about every other hat in the church, it feels like. Um, We uh, wouldn't have moved into this building nearly as well as we did without her help. Um, All the different classes and Um, if you're connected in any way at our church there's a system somewhere that Ellen helped develop and create that made that happen and so she's just been an amazing part of our staff team and about five months ago she's most recently been working with uh, John Cronwald who's our redemption community small groups pastor and about five months ago she came to him and said you know what I really think that as the church grows and as things develop Uh, John, I think you need an admin, you need someone to work with you that can really be in the office more than I can be in the office. If you know Ellen, you know she's running a business and she's got a great, uh, awesome, big family and uh, just does a lot of great stuff. She said, I just can't be in the office as much as uh, I think you probably need and this ministry needs. And so um, with, I think, a, a great deal of sadness and yet a tremendous amount of humility, Um, Think about the humility that that would take to say, you know what, what this position needs, even though I'd like to keep going in it, 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 I I really ought to let someone else do it that can meet the need better. Um, And so Ellen, uh, over the last few months, has been kind of transitioning, and uh, transitioning not out of our church, but off of our staff team, and um, we already miss her, Um, but uh, just I wanted to take a moment and honor her. She's actually in this service, so Ellen, I'm going to embarrass you here. Would you please stand, and would you all just give some appreciation to Ellen? Can I actually have something? That's for you. We love you, Alan. Thank you. All right. Well, if you are just joining us, uh, this is uh, our last week in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But you actually came at a good time, because we're going to get a little bit of a review of the whole thing. So you like missed the whole series, but you're going to catch up on it all today. Um, And what we've been doing is looking in this series, in the Sermon on the Mount, at some of Jesus' most significant teaching, but it's also teaching that likely happened very early in his ministry. It's the first extended portion of teaching that the gospel writer Matthew records of Jesus, and uh, Matthew 5 to 7. And it really sets the tone, it sets the trajectory of how Jesus is going to talk and is going to teach. He has been proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, what he does is he says, Let me now describe to you what life in that kingdom is to be. So that's what we've been looking at over these last nine weeks. Over the next four weeks, I want to tell you about the next series that we're going to do. It's called Home Away from Home. And what it's going to be is a study of John 14 to 17. John 14 to 17. Now, uh, the home way from home, you may recognize that graphic even. It's the same graphic and the same name of the initiative that we're beginning uh, to be able to build on our property next door. And so over the, four, the next four weeks, here's what we're going to do. is We're not going to talk very much about the building And we're not going to talk a ton about the money. We're going to give enough information so that you will be able to participate in that project however you feel like the Lord wants you to participate. We're not going to pressure anything. We're not going to, you know, this isn't going to be, hey, join us for the next four weeks of guilt trip talks about money, okay? (laughs) Anybody else not want that? I don't want that. Um, Instead, what this is gonna be is looking at, if if the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus' early teaching, what we're gonna do the next four weeks is kind of go to the other end of the story. We're gonna look at some of the last teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples in what's called the Upper Room Discourse in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So the night of the Last Supper, it's all this stuff he was saying to them as he was about to go to the cross. And we feel like that's really appropriate because as we think about the future, for a building and for impacting our community the excitement and the important stuff is not the layout of a property or what exactly this or that looks like in a new building that that doesn't and shouldn't really excite us that much what should excite us is the opportunity to be the people of God in this community And to see the name and the fame and the glory of Jesus spread in this community. So that's what the next four weeks are going to be about. So I hope you'll come. I hope you'll be here every single week uh, because I really want, as we talk about this future vision for our church related to who God's inviting us to be, we need to all be part of that. We need to all be thinking about how God can help us to grow in our faithfulness and our love for him for the sake of our community. So I hope you will join us for that. All right, well, we're going to uh, look at this last part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, here in uh, the verses that Seth read just a moment ago, compares two people. Um, now, I'm late to the party, but I've just started watching The Voice. I think I'm like the last, I don't know if anyone else watches it anymore. I just finally caught up to it. It's one of the few shows I think most of the time I can watch with my older girls. And so uh, we're into The Voice. And if you've never watched The Voice, it's like American Idol, only a slightly better. Um, <laughs> And, but they don't produce any stars. And, um, and the second part of the voice is this battle round where uh, each coach selects two singers and they battle against each other. They sing, and it's weird because they kind of sing together, but they kind of are going against each other. And the, the coach then has to make a choice, has to say, well, I'm going to choose Samantha, not Mandy, you know, or something like that. And they have to make this choice. And it, it's uh, kind of a picture, a little bit, of the choice Jesus gives us here today. Jesus is going to close this sermon and call you to make a choice. Jesus is going to close this teaching and say, hey, 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 you need to do something here. Jesus is going to say, you can't just hear this. You can't just listen to this and go, wow, that's interesting, or wow, that's impressive. I'm calling you to do something as a result. And so Jesus says there's two kinds of people you can be. And you're going to make a choice. There's a battle that's going on. There's a sing-off that's happening. These two people, both of them, either of us, could, any of us could lean into. Who are we going to be? How are we going to respond? So you see this description of these two people, these two men. Jesus, uh, I want to just kind of put it up on on the screen as a graphic just to help you understand it. Uh, Jesus says, uh, well let me, I, let me go back let me actually read the, the passage again and then we'll, we'll go through the comparison All right. so Jesus says this in verse 24 everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock that's the first man second man, second option And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So let's look at the comparison of these two men, right? It's so similar and it's in some ways so obvious. Uh, The first man hears Jesus' words. The second man hears Jesus' words. Do you notice that in verse 24? Everyone who hears these words of mine, in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, but now we have the first difference. The first man does what he hears, and the second man doesn't. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. So here we have the two biggest differences. Everybody's hearing this teaching. The question is, will you do it? Will the listeners to this do it? Will they live in accordance with Jesus' teaching. Both people hear. Only one man does what he hears. That man is like a wise man. The one who doesn't do what he hears is like a foolish man. The man who hears the words and does what he is uh, told is a man who builds his house on the rock. The other foolish man builds his house on the sand. Notice this. This is interesting. Both men experience rain, floods, and wind. In both places, it says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Both of them experienced that. But the first man's house endures. It doesn't fall. The second man's house collapses. And notice what it says there at the end of verse 27. It fell and great was the fall of it. Like it didn't just fall, it went kaboom, fell. Total collapse. Now notice a few of the things that are the same here. A few of the same things that are same here is that uh, right? He hears, both people hear Jesus' words. Both people build. Uh, both people experience rain, floods, and winds. But you see the difference. Uh, there's a, a guy in town, a professor in town, John Del who works at Phoenix Seminary. He did a training day with us. Uh, all the lead pastors, before we teach a series, we uh, invite a scholar or somebody in who's really familiar with a portion of Scripture. And, and we try to learn as much as we can about it before we preach it. And he told the story about his father-in-law who lives in Prescott. And uh, he did this whole survey of this land that he was getting and found that there was all this clay on it. And so uh, John Del Husay's father-in-law spent $15,000 to get that clay removed. His neighbor did not get the clay removed. And when the house started falling apart, he spent $250,000 to redo the foundation. That's what Jesus is saying. And I just think it's really important to point out here Both people experience the flood. Title of our message today is How to Survive the Flood. What we'd like Jesus to say is there were two men, and the man who heard God's words and did what he said, he built his house on a rock, but it didn't even matter because it just stood there easy peasy. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, You're going to experience the flood, you're going to experience the wind. You're going to experience the rain. Now, there's two ways to really look at that phraseology of the rain and the floods and the wind. One way to think about it is just the way we would think about the kind of storms of life. And that's absolutely true. We're all going to face those storms. The question is, will we collapse under the weight of those storms or will we endure? Will we stand? But the other way to look at this that a number of scholars have pointed out is that when the Bible talks in this sort of language of rain and flood and wind, that's judgment language. Saying those who have their house built on the rock of Jesus, because they didn't just hear what he said, but they're doing it, they'll withstand the judgment. Not only will they withstand the storms of this life, not only will they be able to get the cancer diagnosis and get the job loss and experience the divorce and experience the wayward child and experience the untimely death, and while it will grieve them and while it will hurt them, they will stand secure in Jesus. Not only that, but at the judgment, those who have built their life on Christ on doing what he says, on living in his kingdom, will withstand the judgment. So, this sounds simple enough, right? This is like in Sunday school when they're like, all right, little boys and girls, do you want to go to heaven where the streets are paved with gold and you get a mansion and everything's happy? Or do you want to burn in hell? All right, everyone that wants to go to heaven, right, like, uh, I'm not that stupid, but heaven. Like, right, so it seems like such an obvious choice. It seems like such a clear thing. But let's really look at it. What is Jesus actually asking? Because if he just said, hey, do you want to uh, collapse under the flood or endure the flood? You go, well, endure it. Duh. Okay, well, here's what it's going to take to do Jesus' words. Here's what doing Jesus' words looks like are you still sure so we should really try to ask what what kind of life is doing the words of jesus what is jesus talking about here Uh, by the way it's worth really it's really important to mention this jesus is not here saying there are irreligious people and there are kingdom people Right? The people who build their house in the sand are still the people who heard Jesus' words. They're still the people that were lining up for this sermon. These aren't the people that are like, oh, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with him. No, this is a contrast of religious people and kingdom people. And Jesus is saying, you can be religious, you can hear the words, you can be in church, you can sing the songs, you can do the activity and still not be a kingdom person. And when the rain and the floods and the wind come, your life will collapse. So, I'm not talking about being religious. We're not talking about being more moral. We're talking about living with a, with a kingdom of Christ kind of vision. What is that? What is Jesus talking about? Well, I think in order to understand it, we're just going to go back through the whole sermon. You know, essentially, when you look at this week by week by week, you can start to just analyze, oh, let's look at this tree, let's look at this tree, let's look at this tree, you can miss the forest. So we're going to look at the forest, we're going to look at this big picture. What kind of life is doing the words of Jesus? All throughout this message that Jesus has been giving he's been saying, here's the lifestyle of the kingdom of God, and here's the reward that comes from it. This is really key as we go through this. Jesus is not saying, hey, just follow me because it's right. It is right. Jesus is saying, follow me because it's better. Follow me because it's more life-giving. Follow me in this kingdom lifestyle because it's so much sweeter. So, what kind of life is doing the words of Jesus well if we go back to the very beginning if you have your Bible turn it to Matthew 5 and in Matthew 5 verses uh, 3 through 11 this was kind of the thing that kicked it off it was this uh, this these beatitudes this life right side up a vision of the breath of the blessed life An embrace of a counterintuitive approach to life. Jesus said, blessed, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Do you notice how counterintuitive all this is? Jesus says all the stuff that the world wouldn't value, like being poor in spirit, that means you go, I have nothing. The world doesn't value that. The world says be big enough and strong enough and do your best. Jesus says, I value meekness, like I don't need the attention. The, The world doesn't value that. Get as much fame as you can. The world hungers and thirsts. Even religious people hunger and thirst for power, for influence. Jesus says, I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Religious people are some of the least merciful people, let alone the people in the world. And Jesus says, no, you should be people of mercy. You should be people of purity. You should be people who rejoice when others persecute you. How crazy is that? This is a totally different way to live. And yet notice all of the rewards that come with this. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. Can you imagine a better result than that? They shall be called sons of God. Get that. Not just God's creation, but God's children. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. The kind of lifestyle that is doing the words of Jesus is a lifestyle that embraces Jesus' values that says, I'm not gonna go the direction of the world and I'm not even gonna go the direction of all the religious people who are just still caught up in the world system. I'm gonna turn it all on its head. I'm gonna live life right side up. The next passage we looked at in verses 13 to 16, Jesus said, you're to be the salt of the earth. You're to be the light of the world. Uh, You're not supposed to live these kingdom values under a bowl where no one can see it. Rather, you're supposed to go out into the world and live this new kingdom life in a way that gives glory to your Father who's in heaven, that you would shine your light through love, through good works. Look at what it says in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. See, religious people do good works, but they do it for their own glory. They do it so you'll look at them and go, wow, that's impressive. Kingdom people say, I'm gonna do good works, acts of love, willingly self-sacrificing for the good of others in a way that doesn't demand payback or that the person's deserving. I'm gonna pour myself out like that just for God's credit. And what's the result? The result is God's glorified. Look at the next section in verses 17 to 20 of chapter five. In this section, doing the life of Uh, Doing the words of Jesus is is trusting Jesus as the scripture fulfiller. He said in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And if you want to go back and listen to the message we did on that, we explain that Jesus is the scripture fulfiller, that Jesus does as the true Israelite what all the people of Israel were never able to do. And as we trust in him, then we receive, here's the result, here's the fruit, here's the reward. We receive a new power so that we can now go live a life of love. Then in this big section, verses 21 to 48, we see that embracing the words of Jesus, doing the words of Jesus is taking sin seriously at a heart level. My friend Tyler Johnson likes to say, if sin were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. (laughs) And we acknowledge that. But we think, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do bad stuff. But deep down, I'm a good person. And what Jesus exposes in this message is to say, no, 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 no. You do good things because you're made in the image of God. But your heart is where sin is really lurking. It's not just your your sinful skin that's blue. You've got a blue Smurf heart too. Right, so you think it's, well, I just shouldn't kill anybody. Jesus says, don't even be angry. You say, I shouldn't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even look with lust. Jesus says, Uh, commitment is better than divorce because you have a father who is committed and faithful. Jesus says, don't just promise things. Oh yeah, I swear, I swear, I'll do this, I'll do this. No, he says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Do it. Doing it's better than promising it. He says, it's even better to suffer than to retaliate. Look at what he says in chapter five, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Think about that. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, you don't retaliate. You know, everything in your sinful heart wants to do that. No, you forgive. You turn the other cheek. You love your enemies, it even says in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's taking sin. It's taking righteousness seriously, not just in an outward way, but in a truly internal way. Well, in chapter 6, we see that doing God's... Oh, by the way, let me just mention the reward. The reward of uh, doing all of those in chapter 5 is that we imitate our Heavenly Father. Jesus said, be perfect like your Father's perfect. When you live this way, you're living like God. Chapter 6 In the first part, verses 1 to 18, we saw that uh, doing the words of Jesus is practicing righteousness for God's approval, not man. It's not a bunch of humble brags that say, hey, look at me, look at how devoted I am. And the fruit of that is that God rewards. God rewards and sees. He says this in verse uh, 3 of chapter 6, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You practice your righteousness for God, that's the ethic of the kingdom. The result is God rewards you. In the Lord's Prayer, we see that uh, the doing the words of Jesus is drawing near to the Father in humble, kingdom-focused prayer. And the fruit of that, the result of that, is that God answers In chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, we see that doing what Jesus is saying, not just hearing his words, but doing what he says, means treasuring God more than we treasure money. And it isn't just the world out there who treasures money. It's even religious people who treasure money. Jesus says, don't love money, trust God and use money for God's purposes. And the results will be, you'll have treasure in heaven. Look at what he says in verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Lay up treasures in heaven. Now think about this for just a moment because we often just think of laying up treasure in heaven as being giving. And it is that. That's part of it, right? Giving to the Lord, giving to support God's work, using your money not in consumeristic stuff for yourself, but using it for God's kingdom purposes. Yes, that's absolutely part of what he's talking about. But you know what else he's talking about? He's talking about investing in the very few things that last forever. What are the things that last forever? God, his word, and people. Which means Jesus says when you love people, when you invest in people, when you protect people, rather than just protecting your economic interests, you're actually laying up treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. I want to actually take just a moment and try to apply this in a way that maybe you might not think about, but I think is actually really important. Uh, there's a proposition on the ballot uh, coming up here in a couple weeks for those of you that haven't already sent in your early vote. And uh, I want to encourage you, this is, just pers- this is me talking, this is not our church, this is not redemption, this is just Luke. And I have a microphone on my face so I get to say this. <laughs> but I think this is an application of this passage. I want to encourage you to vote no on Proposition 205. Proposition 205 is uh, the proposition that wants to legalize recreational use of marijuana in Arizona. And uh, medicinal use of of marijuana is available in Arizona. There's actually a dispensary nearby. If you get here early Sunday morning, sometimes they're burning the stocks. You can get a contact high. It's pretty interesting. (laughs) So the medicinal stuff is already going. This uh, proposition would would enable uh, the recreational use of it. And now there's a few reasons why I, I think... You should vote against this and why I think it comes out of this passage. One reason, uh, this is just more of a practical one, is any, I don't know if you know this, any voter proposition in Arizona can't be amended unless it goes back to another voter proposition, which means if there's a problem with how it's working or people go, "Eh, it's okay, but we need to tweak it, they can't tweak it without another voter referendum. The, The legislature can't do it. Right, So that's one just practical reason why if this something is this kind of, eh, we don't know how this is going to go, it'd be wise to just vote against it just on that basis. But the other reasons are that this uh, proposition would disproportionately hurt the poor and the vulnerable and the needy and the children in our community. Here's why. Uh, because uh, marijuana use is illegal at the federal level, the people who will come and will set up these uh, dispensaries Will not be able to put their banks, or I'm sorry, their money in banks because banks are FDIC federally insured. So it's an all cash deal. Where are they going to put that money? They're going to put it in real estate. Now, some of you go, "Ooh, good. That'll drive up my, that'll drive up my property value." Is your treasure on Earth, or is your treasure in heaven? Because of that might be good for you here out in Queen Creek. Do you know that really hurts when property values go up? It hurts poor communities where a lot of times people can no longer then afford to live the place they've lived forever and they're forced out. So it hurts people in that way. The other thing is that the people who market these things, and I'm from Colorado. I get, I mean, I, the time I go there, I see this and you see the marketing and uh, there's all sorts of edible snacks that are, you know, have marijuana in them. And all of these edible snacks are, are marketed like candy. There's actually lots of reports in Colorado of kids seeing a package of gummy bears on the counter and going, oh, gummy bears, and getting high and sent to the ER because they ate their you know, mom's pot gummy bears. Also in Colorado, where this is legal, this is built on the same kind of approach, uh, usage among teenagers is up 75%. How many of you think teenagers need less motivation? (laughs) Right? No. no. And, And what would drive, what drives the whole thing on Prop 205 that would say, hey, you should vote for it? Money. It'll stimulate the economy. It'll put all this money into schools. You know why we can't put more money into schools in Arizona? Because of voter propositions that make it where we have to pay for other stuff, and the legislature can't change it and put more money in schools. So what drives it is money. Now listen, I would love to see some sort of a prison or a sentencing reform, because I think that also disproportionately hurts poor and minority uh, communities. But that's a separate issue. If we're going to treasure God and use money for his purposes we can't just go oh well whatever is good for the economy let's do it no we've got to think through how does this affect people how does this affect people's lives and I hope you'll use some of that same kind of criteria in any issue that you think through all right moving on (laughs) soapbox off In the end of chapter 6, Jesus says, listen, to do my words is to trust me to provide for what I need, what you need. Uh, Don't be anxious. The birds don't worry about stuff. Worrying is just praying to yourself. Jesus says, trust me, I'll take care of you. In chapter 7, we saw that doing the words of Jesus is humbly fighting your own sin more than judging other people for their sin. And the result of that is that you get the log out of your eye and you can actually see things more clearly. We see that in chapter 7, verse 12, that we're called to do unto others what we would wish they would do to us, that we should follow a hard path of loving others. Why? Because it leads to life. Jesus says the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And then in the passage we finished with last week, in verses 15 to 23, we see that doing the words of Jesus means caring more about your actual spiritual condition, having a healthy life that's bearing fruit, rather than just a life that looks good from the outside, like all the people that go, oh, Jesus, look at all the stuff we did for you. And Jesus says, yeah, but I didn't know you. And the result of pursuing a kingdom life is that we would know Jesus. Just think about this. Here's the rewards that are offered in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of God is yours. Comfort, satisfaction, seeing God, being a son of God, having blessing, glorifying God, having new power, imitating your heavenly father. God will reward you. God will answer you. God will give you treasure in heaven. You will be taken care of. You will see things clearly. You will have life. You will know Jesus. Again, you go, okay, I think I want to be in on that. Yeah, you should. Jesus is saying, this is a better way to live. Don't be a person who just hears me and doesn't do it. No, do it. Embrace this. Join me in this kingdom lifestyle. Well, why do we resist this? Right? If it seems so obvious, if it seems so clear, why don't we all just go, yeah, I'm in on the kingdom of Jesus? There's a number of reasons. Here's uh, three reasons I want to give us. One is that it's way harder. It's way harder. Interesting, actually, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter six, Luke records Jesus giving this same basic uh, message, and in that place, uh, Luke says that the wise man dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And the implication from that is not like, "Hey, one neighbor had a rock to to build a house on, and the other one, his property was all sand." No, the idea here, what Luke is picking up on, is that both of them had a topsoil of uh, of just sand but the wise man is the one who dug that out and built his house down on the solid rock. The fool went, well, I'm in a hurry, I gotta do this, this will just be easier, and built it on the sand. It's a harder way to live. It's a more painful way to live. And here's the other thing that's really difficult about this, is this is not just saying, hey, live this way for 40 days during Lent. Live this way during a season of Advent. You can do it for a year. This is saying live this way your whole life. Some of you are in chronic pain. Uh, one of the pastors on our staff, Dale Thakra, is in continual pain with his back. We pray for him a lot. We love him a lot. There's a huge difference between, "Oh, I threw my back out this week and a little physical therapy and I'll be okay in 2 weeks." Like you can kind of endure that. But when it's, "Hey, I'm hurt." And it's getting worse. And there may not be an end in sight. That's hard. And let me make it absolutely clear. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, yes, there's reward. Yes, there's blessing along the way. Yes, I'll be with you. Yes, there's eternal reward to come. But in the meantime, this is a hard life. It's a hard way. It's a narrow gate. It's a difficult road. There aren't many people that find it. It's hard. That's the first reason we resist it. It's it's way harder. It would be easier to just you know yeah yeah that sounds really interesting Jesus but I got a life to live and I'm going on my way. It'd be easier to just play church and play religion and go yeah I'm going to give some money here and I'm going to show up there and I'm going to do some stuff but you know I don't really need this whole Jesus thing to impact the way I like treat my customers or work. No, Jesus said, I want it to impact your whole life. That's hard. We resist that. Second reason we resist it is it challenges our idols big time. It challenges our idols. There's these things that we love. We uh, went through these uh, idols when we were in the series in the book of Judges earlier this year. Uh, These idols of comfort and security and approval and pleasure and control and power. That these are the things, as human beings, we want. Many of us are not tempted by an, an idol of Baal or an idol of Asherah. But individually, this threatens our idols of comfort and security and approval and pleasure and control and power because Jesus is saying, hey, you give that up and you follow me. My way runs the table. Now, these are just the individual idols. This isn't even talking about the cultural idols that this threatens like consumerism and individualism. But all of this threatens these things that we love. We saw back in the book of Judges when our idols are threatened, we get mad. We don't want to do it. We want to try to get, get kind of syncretistic and go, well, I'm going to have Jesus plus comfort. I'm going to have Jesus plus everyone will like me. I'm going to have Jesus plus power. I'm going to have Jesus plus pleasure. Jesus says, no, no, I don't promise that. I don't offer that. You can't just sync these things up. It's me that you need. And here's the third reason we resist this. It really just sums up everything we've been saying, is it's a whole new direction. It's a whole new direction. It's a whole new way. It's a whole new approach. It's a whole new life. We got to know that's what repentance means. Jesus doesn't, in this particular sermons say repent but in chapter four what he's been going around saying is the kingdom of god is at hand repent well what does repent mean repent literally means to turn around it means you're walking in this direction and you turn and you go in a new direction and when you've been walking a certain way your whole life it's really hard to turn around there's a song that i want to have uh, joshua play here for us and then i'll come back up it's a song that i think so perfectly illustrates why we struggle to embrace doing the words of Jesus. So, take a listen.
1: There's a land where the people all walk around backwards. They walk around backwards wherever they go They are bumped, they are bruised, they are scarred and broken And why they walk around backwards they don't know They stumble and they stagger into one another They trip and they tumble and they all fall down There's a dangerous cliff that they cannot see and a lake at the bottom where the people drown. It seems that they've always walked around backwards. They were backwards born, they were backwards grown. The little children learn it from their mamas and papas. And they're reluctant to leave what they've always no. Well, some do worse and some do better. They all get by in that backward town. They all fear the cliff and the lake below. But the people will fall and the children will drown. Mm. Then a stranger came to town, and to them he walked backwards. It was the strangest sight they ever did see, but he had no bumps, no scars, no bruises. And he said, this is how you were meant to be. If you'll just follow me, if you'll just turn around, you will see where you're going, you will not fall down. You'll have no fear of the cliff and the lake and you'll not tumble in and you'll never drown. But the people got afraid and the people got angry. When he said, come and follow, everyone refused They all got together and they did away the stranger And they're still getting broken and scarred and bruised but some I've been told heard the things he said you can see their footprints around the town they stand at the cliff with the words of the stranger you'll do fine if you'll just turn around there still is a land where people walk backwards they walk around backwards everywhere they go. Thank you.
0: That's it, isn't it? Is that everything Jesus is saying? You'll do fine if you'll just turn around. You go, but I've walked backwards my whole life, I've never done it that way. I've never seen the world that way. Jesus says, I know. Jesus says, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. So now the question is, what will we do? You've heard the words of Jesus. You're building a life of some kind. The rain and the floods and the wind, they're coming. What will you do? It's interesting the way that Matthew finishes this. Look at Matthew 7, verses 28 to 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now we like to point out wow, look at how Jesus taught. He taught with such authority. People could see such authority. But do you know what it doesn't say? That they followed him. They went, wow, great message. That guy's dynamic. That was interesting. Like the whole illustration about the birds. I've never seen it that way. But amazement's not enough. Being impressed with Jesus is not what he's calling you to. He's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to trust him. He's saying, I've provided everything you have need. I've fulfilled the law on your behalf. Come, follow me. If you'll just follow me, you'll never drown. What will we do? What will you do? Will we say, you know what, yeah, that's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, I don't know how to do this. But I want to follow Jesus. Well, we then say, you know what? I can never do this on my own because I'm going to run out of steam in about 10 seconds. I need a community of people. I need a small group. I need some other believers who are going to pray with me and encourage me and help me to take these steps. You know what? I have this issue in my life that I'm stuck with. I need some counseling. I need some help. I need some encouragement. I need the church because I'm never going to do this on my own. You're not. You won't. You can't. But together, as we follow Jesus, as we embrace his vision for the kingdom, we can experience the life that it brings. We're going to fast forward in the story and talk more about that life beginning next week. So I hope you'll join us for that. Let me pray.